Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 as we can conclude the series today entitled Identity and Who We Are in Christ. And I'm really excited about this particular message because, you know, it's one that really illustrates very well what our identity in Jesus should be like, which is why in looking at these chapters in the book of 2 Corinthians, I wanted to focus on chapters 3 all the way through chapter 6 because that whole section of scripture Paul really describes really well what a Christian should look like how we as followers of Jesus should live how we should act how we should behave and what we should be thinking but in this particular section this particular text today he really summarizes very well everything that we need to know about being a church, about being a Christian, how we should treat one another, how we should impact our community. All of that is found in this one text of Scripture, which is why the title of the message today is Expect the Best. When you come to worship, when we gather together for ministry, when we do things out in the community, you ought to expect the best from one another, from yourself, obviously from giving our effort to the Lord. In fact, yesterday we had some of our church members that helped with the Be the Change initiative throughout all of Adair County, and uh, I think uh, Mayor Pam is wanting to do that again, so if you missed out on the opportunity to do some of those jobs around the community, it was a good opportunity for us to uh, send some delegates from our church out to do certain jobs, and it was a real blessing to do that. One of the main reasons we're doing the Strength Team Crusade is to saturate our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's going to take all of us doing something. Maybe it's in front of people. Maybe it's behind the scenes. Maybe it's a prayer warrior. Maybe it's just handing out a card to someone that you know, somebody you work with, putting up that invite that you had at work. If you don't know anybody in particular to hand it to, but something to get the word out over the next month or so to tell people that we want them to come and hear the gospel. We do things like that as a church because we want to do them well. We want to saturate our community. We want to do the best and expect God to move in great ways. And then you have communities like this one. In Alaska, just the other day at a city council meeting, Whoever was leading the city council meeting has a religious representative from the community open them up in prayer. Now, a few weeks ago, they had someone who was from the Church of Satan, and they concluded their prayer with Hail Satan. If that's any indication of where this is going, then you can understand the weirdness that was involved with a man named Barrett Fletcher. He walked in with a colander on his head and he offered the opening prayer in behalf of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Now if you've not heard of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, it actually is a real thing. Some people think it's all a joke, but he opened his prayer by saying, so I'm called to invoke the prayer of the true inebriated creator, that means drunk, creator of the universe, the drunken tolerator of all lesser and mere recent gods, and maintainer of gravity here on earth. He said, may the great flying spaghetti monster rouse himself from his stupor 
and let his noodly appendages ground each assembly member in their seats. Now again, this guy is completely serious, even though he had a colander on his head. That tells you all you need to know. But he concluded his prayer by saying that he hoped that the spaghetti monster would provide each assembly member satisfaction in the perception of accomplishment and allow them true relaxation relaxation in an ample supply of their favorite beverage at the end of the evening's work. And he concluded the prayer by saying, ramen. Ramen noodle. Yeah, right. Not amen, but ramen. It's his dumb prayer, not mine. That's all I can say. But when you think about getting members of a community, leadership of a community together, and you ask yourself, who in the community can we invite to give us some kind of spiritual guidance, some kind of a spiritual shot in the arm, somebody who will walk alongside us who wants the best for the community, those representatives were the best they could find. And the Bible tells us that we ought to expect the best from God. And very frankly, I'm going to tell you, the community ought to expect more from us. As a church, when we step outside of these walls and we begin to infiltrate every nook and cranny of this community, we are not calling upon some made-up God with a colander on our head. We are invoking the very power of the Creator of the universe. We are asking the Holy Spirit to invade our lives, to go out into the community, to use everything we do to saturate this world with the gospel message of Christ. And I'm telling you, God has called us to not only expect the best from Him, but He expects the best from us. And how do we get to that point where we are literally giving God our best? How do we get to the point where people in this community know that we're giving our best for them. How do you get your household to the point where husband and wife, mom and dad, everybody under the roof of your house knows that we are all going in the same direction and that we're expecting the best from one another? Paul gives us two very simple steps, but they are difficult in taking. But if you're willing today to expect the best, not only of what God gives to you, but in what you give back to Him, then you will be willing to take these two steps today and all of the kingdom of God is dependent upon us working together and in you giving your best to Christ. If you found 2 Corinthians chapter 6, if you're able to, would you stand in honor of reading God's Word today? Beginning in verse 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. The Bible says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God. 
and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's pray together. Father, as we look intently at your word today, and put our very lives at your altar and just pray, God, that you would take everything that we say, everything that we do, all that we are, every place that we go, every relationship that we have, every household represented here, every ministry of this church, and as a body, this entire church. And We ask, God, that you would cleanse us, purify us, use us for your glory, as you expect the best from us, God, as we give our very best for you, knowing that you gave heaven's best to cleanse us and purify us from our sins. In your Son, Jesus Christ, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Two simple steps today. If you're willing to take these steps, you will notice a remarkable change in your life, in your family, and in our church. You will notice as we expect the best from God and God expects the best from us, you will notice a tremendous difference that God makes in our community through all that we give back to Him. These two simple steps are in fact simple, but they will take a lot of time and energy, but will be well worth the effort. Here's the first step that God calls us to do. God expects us to be spiritually connected that is the bible tells us that we should be spiritually connected and walking alongside of those who have also experienced the life-saving grace and power of god now you notice in verse 14 the bible starts out with what is considered to be a very controversial verse paul says in second corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers now before I tell you what the verse means and before I tell you what the verse doesn't mean let me just explain for us city folks in here what a yoke is he's not talking about the yellow stuff in the middle of an egg he says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever now a yoke is basically a harness that you would put around a horse a mule, or an oxen to pull something, to pull a plow, to pull a wagon, to pull your grandma on a sled, whatever. But it was a harness that went around some beast of the field. And this yoke would go around the neck, and that animal would push it, or, or pull it rather, and go forward. And so if you were plowing a field or pulling a wagon or something, you would expect the animal to go straight, go, go where you wanted it to go, and it would pull whatever it was pulling behind. The idea of a yoke is a two-animal harness where two heads would be sticking out of the same harness and they would literally be sharing the load. Why are you giggling? Did I say something wrong? 
Okay, I'm a city slicker, so if I get this wrong, y'all make sure to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's not right. But a yoke is, is a harness built and designed for two animals. They would literally be side by side, walking uh, through the field side by side, and together they would be pulling the plow, pulling whatever it was, pulling the sled or pulling the wagon. What the Bible gives us this picture of is that both of these animals that are yoked to or connected to this harness are both equally responsible to pull that plow. If one of them walks and the other one sits, it's going to be a difficult row to hoe. If one of them walks fast and the other one walks slow, then you're going to walk in circles and you won't really go straight. The expectation is both animals will pull their weight and do equally what is responsible to pull whatever it is that is behind them. Now the Bible says do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Let me tell you what this verse doesn't mean. What it does not mean is that we should not have any relationships, any friendships, any contact at all with someone who is not a Christian. It is not calling us to be in a bubble isolated from the world. It is not calling us to be so separate that we never talk to, interact with, or even have a friendship or a relationship with someone that is outside of the family of God. It is just this simple. Paul gives this analogy to say that when you are both going in the same direction, it means that you both have the same set of responsibilities. So a church being connected with something or someone that is outside of the family of God is not going to be productive. A Christian that is equally yoked to someone who is not a believer in Jesus is not going to go in the same direction and in the same method and pull the same weight as that person beside them. So because this is somewhat of a controversial statement, because of relationships, because of people that we know and places that we work and all of that, Paul gives us several analogies to help explain exactly what he means when he says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers notice what they are the first one he says for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what relationship what does righteousness and lawlessness have to do with one another in other words he says one is going forward the other is going backward one wants to take the kingdom of God and move it forward. The other one wants to do its own thing. Now, righteousness and unrighteousness, righteousness and lawlessness may not go in polar opposites direct directions, but they definitely want to go in two different directions. One may want to go right, the other may want to go left. One may want to go straight, the other one may want to go back. One may want to go straight and the other one just veer a little bit to the right. Regardless, what Paul says is, what connection, what equality does righteousness and unrighteousness have together, and how can they really be going in the same direction equally all the time? The second one he says, 
What fellowship has light with darkness? Now this is a great analogy because what Paul is bringing literally to light is light does away with darkness. Darkness tries to take over the light and to overpower it, but it just takes a little bit of light to dispel the darkness. In other words, light can never be equal to darkness because light is always greater. Light is always more powerful. Light is always piercing, whereas darkness is always grasping and groping. And so what he says, light and darkness cannot be equally yoked together and expect for God's kingdom to be advanced forward. The next one he gives us. What accord or what relationship does Christ have with Belial? Now we know who Christ is, but who in the world is Belial? Abelio literally means wickedness, lawlessness. How can we expect for God's kingdom to move forward if Jesus is hitched next to wickedness and lawlessness? You've got the character of Christ in a Christian and in a church that has been born again and set free from sin, and you have wickedness that is bound and chained to sin. These two are light and darkness, polar opposites. They cannot be side by side, next together, through this harness and pulling the sled in the same direction. It's physically impossible. He says, what portion, what inheritance, rather, does a believer share with an unbeliever? Listen, friend, God has given you as a child of God Blessings from heaven that you cannot find anyplace else. He provides for you forgiveness of your sins. He gives you the Holy Spirit of God. He gives you all of His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. God pours upon you and inside of you the Spirit of the living God. He gives you a home in heaven. He says what portion, what future inheritance, what current blessing? Does a believer share with an unbeliever? Let me just say this for my own conscience today. You can be, as it has been said many, many times, you can be a Christian sitting in a church about as well as you can be a car sitting in your garage. You can come in this room and sit here and listen to me, and sing the songs, and stand up and sit down, and you can even sit next to somebody that you're fairly certain they're going to heaven. But by sitting in this room, listening to this pastor, and singing the songs does not mean that you have what God has given to me. That does not mean that by sitting in this room that you have the confidence of going to heaven like I do. That does not mean that by sitting in this room and enduring this message and singing all the songs that you have a peace that passes all understanding because the Holy Spirit of God has been poured into your life. Just because you're here does not mean that God lives within you. And friend, I just want to be completely honest with you. If there is just one person sitting in this room who has never been born again and has never come to that moment where you have all the confidence of every fiber of your being 
that God has forgiven you, that he lives inside of you, and that when you die, you will go to heaven. You don't have what I have. And until you have that confidence of knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, as the Bible says, and that the Spirit of the living God is within you, and that Jesus is is in heaven waiting for you and preparing a place for you, if you don't have that confidence, then you need Jesus today. And You don't need to be spiritually connected to a person. You don't need to be spiritually connected to a church. You don't need to be spiritually connected with your rear end in that seat. You need to be spiritually connected to Jesus. And until that happens, you don't have what people that are part of the family of God have. And I cannot even begin to explain what you are missing out on. That is business between you and God. I cannot tell you whether or not you're going to go to heaven when you die. But I can tell you that the Bible teaches us that you can have the assurance to know that you know that you know. It is a no-so salvation and not a hope-so. It is a confidence that comes from God. And what Paul is saying in this church, in this text of Scripture, is that there is no sameness with one who is born again, with one who is not. You can look the part, you can act the part, you can even pretend the part. But unless God lives within you, you don't have what we have but you need it. Now Paul says in this text of Scripture, what portion does a believer have with an unbeliever? I'm going to tell you the warning that comes from this text of Scripture and then I'm going to tell you what the encouragement is. The warning is simply this. Carefully monitor every relationship that you have with someone who is not a Christian. Paul is not commanding us to go and divorce someone who is not a Christian if we are already married. Paul is not commanding us through Scripture to go and break off every friendship or every association that we have with people that do not know Jesus. Paul is not calling us to quit our job, as long as it's not immoral. He's not calling us to quit our job to break off from someone that we work for who does not know Jesus Christ. This would be spiritually and physically impossible to break free from every relationship of people that don't know Christ and yet still carry out the Great Commission. We cannot tell people about Jesus if we have no contact with them. We can't share our personal testimony if we're not involved in things in the world, but the Bible teaches us that we are to be separate spiritually, to be connected to Christ, but not spiritually connected to unbelievers. Many of you all know my wife, and you know that we look very, very different. Now, those of you that are laughing are now on my list. My wife is four foot nine. She lies and says four foot ten because it makes her feel better, but she is not. She's not in the room. She's in children's church, so I can say all that I want to. And y'all will lie and tell her what I didn't say. Rick, I'm watching you, but... We look very different. Now, if it, we, we go shopping together and she needs something on the top shelf, 
She's not going to ask her dear sweet husband to get it. She's going to stand on her tiptoes. She's going to climb up all of these other shelves to get it. And I just stand there and look at her like it's right here. Here. Now, when it comes to picking up something very heavy, she looks to me as if I can pick it up, and usually I can. But if we're going to carry something together, I have to go get one of the children because she, as much as she lifts weights and does CrossFit and all of these things, she just, I mean, she's 90 pounds. She can't pick up something that weighs more than she does. Being physically connected and physically neck and neck, side by side, arm and arm together is one thing. Spiritually, I could be deficient and my wife could be a prayer warrior. I could be slacking a little bit in my walk with Christ and my wife could be just prayed up and and just really in tune with the word of God and because we are spiritually connected together and both know Christ we are both going the same direction and can encourage each other hey pick it up a little bit hey let's go we've got to really push through this and this is what you do when you are connected with each other spiritually Listen, friend, you might be radically different in so many ways from your spouse. You may earn way more money than they do. You may be so much stronger or bigger than they are. But Paul says, be equally spiritually yoked with that person that you said I do with. And make sure that you encourage each other to walk the same direction to pray the way that you ought to to love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and this is the encouragement paul is not saying to break off every relationship with any person that does not know christ but he does say to maintain those relationships with those who do value the relationships that you have with people in this church value the spiritual connection that you have with your spouse pray for them and ask them to pray for you look at one another in this church and encourage each other to grow in your walk with christ why because we are all connected together moving the kingdom of god in the same direction and friend it's very simple if you slack we all miss out If you pull your weight and you're spiritually connected to Christ and you're ready to see God do great things in this church, then you just do your part. And the kingdom of God and all of us benefit from it. Two brothers that are in the entertainment business that I just read about the other day. Some of you may know who they are. Some of you, this name means nothing to you. But the brothers' names are Nick and Aaron Carter. Now, Nick is a member of the Backstreet Boys. So if you're a child of the late 80s, early 90s, this is right up your alley. Some of y'all know the Backstreet Boys and just love them to pieces. Some of you, you don't know who those girls are if your life depended on it. They're not girls, that's just a joke. But his younger brother, Aaron, is 31 years old and wants to be a singer. He's put out a couple of albums. Eh. But the other day, Aaron, the younger brother, 
made a threat against Nick's wife, who happens to be pregnant. And Nick and his wife and their sister decided to put a restraining order against younger brother Aaron. Now, naturally, you know, all of this played out on Twitter, on social media. They didn't actually talk to each other. They're tweeting what they think and their response back and forth. But younger brother Aaron was so upset, this is what he said to his older brother. He said through Twitter, So my brother just got a restraining order against me, and I was just served. He says, Take care, Nick Carter. We're done for life. I haven't seen him in four years, and I don't intend to. Leave me alone for the rest of my life. I'm begging you, please. These two are flesh and blood brothers that ought to be yoked together for good. But friend, I'm telling you, there are relationships in your life where it only takes one something to break that relationship where one wants to go one direction and the other wants to go another. And the Apostle Paul is telling you today, be spiritually connected to people that are going the same direction as Christ. Be spiritually connected to a church that wants to do ministry and move the kingdom of God forward. Be spiritually connected to people who are prayer warriors and who are soul winners and people that are Bible studiers and people that love the Lord and be spiritually connected with them so that you can both encourage each other to plow the fields of harvest for the kingdom of God. Monitor those relationships closely and be spiritually connected. Then the Bible tells us, in the last few verses of this text, to be spiritually cleansed. Listen very closely to what Paul says in verse 16. He says, For what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Friend, there is a vast difference in being spiritually cleansed, in being a temple of the living God in a place where there are plenty of idols around versus claiming to be the temple of the living God and having idols inside the temple. You see, what Paul is talking about and quoting this in these next few verses is he's saying as a temple of the Holy Spirit you are to be different from the idols around you. Your life should look different. How you value things in this world, how you participate with worldly things, what you allow into your life should be vastly different than what the idol worship going on around you looks like. Again, it is physically impossible and spiritually unnecessary to just turn our back on every single person and every single everything that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. Why? Because the Bible calls us to saturate the community with the gospel, to carry it to the ends of the earth, to disciple people, and to share our faith with them personally. But the Bible also gives us the warning in doing that, in taking our temple out of a safe place and going into the danger zones of the world, and being next to and interacting with those that are filled with idol worship, he says, 
you are the temple of the living God. Whatever they have that is not of God, don't put it in you. Your temple can be around those that are filled with idols, but your temple should not be filled with any idols. In fact, your temple is the temple of the living God given to Christ and filled with His presence. We are to live our life for the glory of God and everything that we have, we give to Him. And As a result, everything that God has, He gives to us. Now, idols are not necessarily things that we bow down to. By the way, worship is really an old English word meaning worth-ship. Whatever it is that we worship, we assign worth to. And you don't necessarily have to have a golden calf in your living room that you bow down to and pray to to have an idol in your house. But if there is something in your heart, if there is something in your home that you value more or even the same as your relationship with God, my friend, you have an idol in you. If you value your income, if you value your responsibilities at work, if you value the sense that you feel and validation that you feel when you do a good job from other people more than you feel validated by being the temple of the living God, then you have some serious idols inside of you. When the Bible says we're to be separate, different, distanced from anything that might rob, steal, kill and destroy the relationship that you have with God. And so in chapter 7, verse 1, Paul just very simply says, since we have all of this, let's cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. Listen, some of you may really struggle in one, but not the other. You might say, Pastor, listen, I don't put anything in my body that doesn't belong. I eat kale, I eat avocado, I, I, I drink, you know, olive oil for breakfast, whatever. You know, my body is just, I eat Brussels sprouts. I do what, whatever my body needs, I give it, to, but I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. I don't share my faith. Friend, that you have idols within you because what at the end of the day you value your physical health more than your spiritual health. Some of you all are so faithful to put good stuff in your body for your physical health, but you don't put anything in good for your spiritual health. And some are the opposite. Oh, you pray, you come to church, you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you know all of the Bible, and you memorize it, but then you put stuff inside your body that destroys it slowly and surely. And the Bible very clearly says, we ought to bring what is pure and holy into our body and into our spirit so that we bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. You need to put good stuff in your body. You need to put good stuff in your soul. You need to put good stuff in your head. You need to put good stuff in your heart. 
If you are unequally yoked to some foolishness in the world, break the, break the harness and get rid of that which is holding you back and be connected to the Spirit of the living God and live for Him. Vaping has been a big thing. Lately, e-cigarettes and vaping has been a big, big issue, particularly among 21 to 33-year-olds. Studies have been done. So far, there have been over 500 cases of serious lung illnesses. There were 380 cases last week. There are over 500 as of at the end of this week that have been documented of serious lung issues as though they have inhaled something toxic into their lungs. So I did a little research. What is the advantage of vaping over something else? Vaping360.com gives five or six clear reasons why vaping is better. And the first one says, it's healthier than smoking. You know what I thought of when I read vaping360.com? is that the heart and the soul and the mind and the body will always try to find more creative ways to destroy itself. And you can call it this, you can call it that. You can smoke this, you can eat that. You can bow down to this, you can bow down to that. We can find a million brand new ways to destroy our heart, mind, and soul before a holy, living God and be as creative as possible and as value-minded as we can. It saves money. It's better. Friend, it's destroying people's lives. And not just that. But countless other addictions, thoughts, habits, behaviors, inappropriate relationships, you name it, on and on. And the lesson is crystal clear. Expect the best. God has given you the best that He has to offer. He gave you His Son, Jesus. He makes available His Word to you. He pours out His Holy Spirit to live inside of you and to lead you and guide you in all things righteousness and in holiness. And why would we possibly look at all of those resources and value anything more than that? Friend, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you need what God has to offer. If you've never given your life to Christ and surrendered over to Him, if you've just been playing the game and playing the part and walking through the motions, but you've never had confidence that when your life ends that you will step out of this world and step into the glory of heaven, then today is the day to say, I need Jesus before it's too late. And if you've given your life to Christ, and if you know that Jesus Christ has saved you 
and that the Spirit of the living God is within you, then yoke yourself with the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ and plow the fields of harvest with Him. And find others in your life to come alongside and do that together. And be spiritually connected so that you can also be spiritually cleansed. No matter who you are, where you are spiritually, it's never too late to be spiritually connected to Christ. Would you bow your heads with as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to have the opportunity to pray, to have the opportunity to give, to worship, to hear from Your Word, and to respond. And Father, we know that your desire is to have us connected to Jesus. And Lord, if there are some in this place today that have never given their life to Christ, Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, if there are those in this place that have other things in their life, knowing that they are too a believer in Christ and have been born again, but they've allowed their lives to be yoked with other things in their life that do not belong. Father, may You give them the grace and the boldness today to leave those things behind. Father, however You're calling us to respond today, may it all be for Your glory and for the advancement of Your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN, right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and all sorts of Uh, places you can find this broadcast you can find messages that i've preached and i just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in subscribe and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast which is called again walk this way thank you so much for joining me